Welcome to the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast, a podcast about theater and performance in New York City beyond Broadway. Enjoy the show. Antipodes. Antipodes. Nice. I'm vindicated. Antipodes. <laughs> a new play by Annie Baker. Antipodes. <laughs> all right, I'm glad it's doing that and it's not one of those fake out ones that's going to make it all up. All right, I'm glad we're well prepped for the preview episode. Antipodes. Antipodes. <laughs> the definitive source for pronunciation. YouTube. Yep. Absolutely. Let's start with introductions, Jack. Oh, hi. I haven't been here in a while. You haven't. I'm so excited to be back. Uh, I am Jack. I am the uh, literary associate at the Public Theater in New York City, and I'm here in Lindsay's fantastic new studio slash apartment. And my views are my own, even in this new space. Nice. Liz? I'm Liz. I'm Fuck Yeah, Great Plays. I also do a podcast about scary movies called Bloody Date Night. Haven't plugged that in a while. Thought I would. And I'm Lindsay. I edit the podcast. So we're here to talk about what we're looking forward to in April. Let's start with you, Jack. April. Yeah, April's a weird month for particularly like off-Broadway and be and far beyond off-Broadway mm-hmm. um, because this is like the time when all the Broadway shows are opening up because yeah. everybody's racing for that Tony deadline for the next several weeks. Um, so there's a lot going on in Midtown, but everyone else is like off-Broadway theaters, like their spring seasons are kind of winding down. Um, so there's little less to pick from, but there's also some like great festival type things that are happening in the spring. I'll get to that toward the end. Um, but the first thing I want to talk about is a new musical piece called Samara, which, what? I did not know that was a musical. Well, so <laughs> this no is, idea. well, here's the thing is that I don't know very much about this piece, but I'm terrifically excited. Um, so this is uh, from Soho Rep, the now nomadic uh, Soho Rep, yeah. who have unfortunately lost their wonderfully drab space, um, Walker space, um, late last year. And uh, this show is going to be going on at the very fancy indeed ART New York space on West 53rd Street, basically like in the Hudson River, which I've been to a couple times now. And basically their whole model is that they're just, they just have a bunch of theater companies and residents um, who now like Soho Rab don't have brick and mortar homes. So I've been in a couple of their spaces. They're really nice. It still has that new theater smell. Um, And they do, and they support theater companies that are as big and well known as Soho Rep, but also as small as like little theater companies. Like I saw a mime show there a couple weeks ago. That was fantastic. Um, So anyway, so this is uh, a new play uh, by uh, Richard Maxwell, who is this sort of legendary off Broadway playwright and director, artistic director of the New York city players that frequent, has shows um, in various festivals, works a lot at the Abrams Art Center. And this actually is going to be a new play by uh, Richard Maxwell with music by Steve Earle. If you don't know Steve mm. Earle, oh. Steve Earle is like a sort of legend of sort of f- contemporary folk Americana type of music. If you watch The Wire, he provided music for it and then like was in the show after a little while. That's how I first got to know Steve Earle. And I think in a really interesting key way, this is also the first play in a long time by Richard Maxwell that he is not directing himself. He's one of those like auteur theater artists who always directs his own shit. Um, and actually, Soho Rep's artistic director, Sarah Benson, is going to be directing this. So these three artists combined with the following blurb, which it sounds like it's a Western sort of thing, because it starts with the phrase, on the fringes of the frontier. 
and there seems to be like a, a sort of a story of, of debt collection and a lone man trying to atone for some mistakes, you know, kind of thing. It sounds very like unforgiven-y. Um, so I'm absolutely captivated by the potential of this. And then the cast, is if that wasn't enough, the cast is amazing, including podcast favorite Becca Blackwell um, is going to be in this, along with Vinnie Burroughs. Um, and a, a Paul Lazar and a bunch of other sort of stalwarts of downtown experimental weird shit. Yeah. Um, Soho Rep is, you know, despite losing their space, has had a really great couple of years. Uh, uh, and, and this past season um, with Daniel Alexander Jones's Duat, directed by Will Davis, that was an amazing way to ring in the fall. So I'm really excited for Samara. And uh, that'll start in on April. Oh, by the time you hear this, it'll be in previews. Um, tickets are, you know range from 35 to $65, and even though um, they've moved spaces, uh, 99 cent Sundays are still in effect. Oh. So I would imagine check Soho Rep's website to see when specifically the 99 cent Sunday performances are. Yeah. Great. I'm still trying to wrap my head around a Richard Maxwell uh, Western. <laughs> but I mean, it sounds like a Western. No, I am like, sure what? it will not be, because I mean, if you don't know Richard Maxwell, he's like this... I, the only I was on the train this morning trying to figure out how to describe him. I was like, he is unironically ironic in how he tells stories. Like I've seen him do like sweeping like romances and very quotidian stories, all with this same kind of like, is this real or is this theater kind of energy to it? I, it's really hard to describe how Richard's work works, but um, yeah. Anyway, see it. All right, well, obviously, from my, my YouTube pronunciation guide, I'm going to go with Antipodes. Antipodes. Antipodes uh, by Annie Baker, April 4th uh, at the Signature. I mean, uh, honestly, like what, we're going to go see it. It doesn't matter what it's about. I'm familiar with Annie Baker's work, yes. Yes, I, yes. I yes. Who like cares? It could be like, you know, 15 hours in a Wendy's drive through and we'd go see it. Like, it doesn't matter. But this um, is like shorter than it usual, is. Right? So here's what I've gleaned. She just did an interview with uh, Greta Gerwig in Interview Magazine that I highly recommend. Um, the two of them in conversation is a lot of fun, and so we we knew already it's a play about people telling stories about telling stories, which is amazingly vague. And uh, who knows? We did. I did learn from this interview. It is set in a conference room. There are nine. Why not? There are nine people who never, basically, never leave the stage, and it's a little under two hours with no intermission. So, I'm intrigued. That's like a that's the Annie Baker equivalent of a one act. Like yeah, that, like that's a what, ten minute play. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be. I, I don't know. Yeah, and what was so interesting in this interview is she was talking about her early plays versus what she is writing now, and earlier her earlier works she started with the characters and then dropped them into a situation, and that now she's working more with the the location being the starting point because we're you know john with the bed and breakfast and so now that this conference room is almost more important than the people in it it sounds like hmm. that's a, that's a very curious tease yeah about this play yeah that she started with the location and not the characters or the story right i think is interesting but like i said like we would go see this it doesn't matter i could say anything right now like we yeah. would all go see it it's, it's so interesting because so Annie Baker obviously is one of the recipients of I think it's Residency 5 yeah. is the program they have at the Signature which is over the course of five years three plays by single playwright so this is I guess her second after yeah. John and John was like I felt like after I saw that you mentioned it took place in a bed and breakfast. Like after I saw the show, I wanted to just go up on stage and look at all the tchotchkes and yeah. all the like. It was such a deeply lived-in space, 
And like it was another character in that play. So I'm very curious how something that is, at least in my head, as sparse and Right, the very utilitarian <laughs> conference yeah. room, how that's going to become a magical Annie Baker play. And who's directing that? I don't remember. I'm sorry, I didn't write that down. Is it Sam? No, it's not no, Sam. No, it's not Sam. He's busy as all get out. Yeah, he's so. off. No, we I need to look that up. Okay, let me find out. Because that'll be a really interesting, because I don't know that I've seen any Baker play that hasn't been directed by Sam Gold. I think you're not alone in that because yeah. most of her plays have been directed by him. Yeah. I, I mean, they're debut versions here in New York City. Right. Right. Okay, hold on. And because it's also, oh, Sam is directing uh, things on Broadway. Lila Nim- oh, Neugebauer, who's like Neugebauer. now like the resident director. At, yeah. Um, <laughs> who's who directed like everything at Signature, it feels Including like. everybody. Including okay. everybody yeah. by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins. Okay, let's <laughs> no, move um, on. She might be doing, anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Andy Baker. All right, the thing I wanted to talk about first is American Mill number two. And I principally wanted to talk about this because of the content of the piece, which is that it is about a textile workers' protest movement in the South in the early 20th century. Oh, that's and like right up your alley. a musical. So these combine two things that are of a lot of interest to me, namely musicals about protest movements. Mm. But also, it is by the Pioneers Go East Collective, which we saw at the January festivals, their play, not play, but what was it? Shit. I've forgotten what it was called. We did see them do a thing, didn't we? I don't know we? if I saw this one. No, you didn't. It was Liz no, we and I went. who went to see it, and I and it was did good. all this research, and then I forgot to write down the name of it. Gemini stars. Gemini stars. Okay, well, I'll cut that down to make that pause a lot <laughs> shorter. Oh. So this is by that same group. It is written by the artistic director of that organization, the founder and artistic director, Gianmarco Laforte. And I am excited to see the same crew, including one of the performers that we really liked, Anthony Napolitano. Oh, yeah. He did the songs for Gemini Stars, and we really enjoyed him. I actually went back this morning and re-listened to our podcast about that Mm -hmm. to try to refresh my memory of what we thought. And so this is a much more straightforward narrative musical about this topic that I'm really interested in. It's only 10 performances. It's also at the ART theaters. It starts March 30th and goes through April 9th. So if you're interested, by the time this comes out, you only have a few more chances to see it. And I am excited about that. If ART, since we're plugging them, if ART New York, their 53rd Street space is listening, they need some kind of like bar. This is the only thing that would complete it because they're so far away yeah. from like the the sort of the delightful hoi polloi of mm-hmm. like the of Hell's Kitchen that it's it's hard to get a bite to eat around there. So I'm yeah. just I'm just it's, you know a, 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 a little sandwich cart wouldn't kill them. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> This is my, this is my, yeah. I had this business idea for a sort of like mobile wine bar that just went to off-Broadway theaters oh, absolutely. and provided those services yes. because like so a many pop-up. don't have that, that facility. Mm-hmm. Take all my money. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, coming to you soon, Maximu <laughs> food cart. <laughs> yes, indeed. And it's going to be full of nice, quiet snacks. It'll be perfect. Oh, yeah, quiet snacks are very important. Unwrapped yeah. candies. Unwrapped, Unwrapped candies, no cellophane of any kind. We yeah. do not serve ice in our drinks. Right. Oh, God. And no plastic. 
There's like no I don't oh, understand no bottles, plastic. no crinkly plastic. I do not understand why lobby bars still put ice in their beverages. You know it who drives doesn't? me they bananas. Don't. Some places don't. Some places have stopped doing it, yeah. and I've seen patrons get irate that they can't have ice in their gin and tonic, and I just want to shout like "fuck you" and like <laughs> stand up for that poor person behind the bar serving these goddamn chilled mixed drinks. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. like, first of all, like I understand like wanting to like there there's certain shows where I see people getting like wine and like gin and tonics from like why for this show? But I just I have this vivid memory of the last time I was at Roundabouts off Broadway space, the uh, the Mimi Steinberg Center. Uh-huh. Um, and they're sitting next to it was for love, 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 and sitting next to this couple who had like some sort of whiskey drink in the sippy cup with the most ice. Oh God! And oh. just sloshing it around for all of that show, and me, and it it had an impact on like my opinion of the, of of the show. Oh, yeah. is that absolutely! It, and I was so mad at them, but I wanted them to enjoy their play and their beverage simultaneously because this is America. But I also but take your whiskey neat. Just do it. Yeah, or just shoot it. There were two intermissions in that show, so you. Oh, that's just, why they needed to drink. Just <laughs> pop it back and then wait another fifty minutes, and then pop another one back. That's what I anyway. <laughs> that, but that's not what you called. We're talking about plays here. Um, so, uh, uh, speaking of, uh, if I can plug a really well-placed lobby bar, uh, Player's Horizons always does a fine job. Yes. Yes, no um, ice in their mixed drinks. Yes. No ice in their mixed drinks. That is, that is a quality snack bar. The bar is right there. The second you walk in the damn door, there it is, ready to go for you. Um, they have a show. <laughs> it sounds like I'm an alcoholic in addition to being someone who really goes to a lot of plays. But, uh, okay, so I'm talking about The Profane, which is the <laughs> new play uh, coming at the tail end of Playwrights Horizon season. Um, this is a play that I've seen a reading of, actually, um, and think is quite delightful. Delightful being a sort of curious word choice. It's by playwright Zaid Dorn, directed by Kip Fagan, and it is, it's a family drama set at sort of a dinner table uh, sort of situation. It's, uh, it's a familiar plot. You have Wait, you're saying Playwrights Horizons is producing <laughs> a family drama? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, um, this is a play about, there is a, uh, it's about two Muslim families. Uh, we're one that is, uh, the, the, the patriarch of this family uh, fancies himself very progressive and very understanding, very worldly, and he discovers that his daughter is, get, is marrying into a very conservative Muslim family. And so these two families sort of meet in a sort of meet the parents kind of situation. Mm. And there's plenty of sort of, you know, uh, passive aggressive tensions that sort of unravel into larger questions about faith and culture and uh, assimilation and uh, diversity within a single faith in a single country in a single moment in time. It's never, sadly, um, a, a not uh, urgent moment to talk about Islam in America and the way that people who are not Muslim sort of uh, think of Islam. The thing that I think is really exciting about this play is that it is a play about a particular faith in which there are no outsiders. In other words, there is no, like, Christian white person who's, like, sort of being a surrogate for, you know, a, uh, a subscriber audience to kind of, like, criticize or offer an outside opinion about a faith. This is talking about a faith from within the diversity of the faith itself, if that makes sense. Which I think is actually, it's a small thing, but it's a really important thing because it means that we're not we're not sort of exoticizing or putting on, uh, putting under a microscope um, in a, a sort of a, 
Orientalist way, a a uh, a faith. So I'm I'm very excited about this. Uh, Kip Fagan is a really great, versatile director. Zaid Dorn uh, writing is exquisitely subtle. Um, I really, really enjoyed the reading I saw. This was like a year ago, so I'm sure it's changed dramatically uh, now that it's about to go into previews. But yeah, I, I think that this play is really uh, incredible, and uh, I cannot wait to have everybody see it and then talk about it. Yeah, see, I can't wait to hear what the playwright subscriber base uh, has to say about yeah. it. Yeah, I think they're gonna like it. I mean, it's it's a very um, it feels it feels they very love at family home. Family dramas. I don't know. What you're That's talking true. About. Yeah, That's it feels true. very at home at Playwrights Horizons. I'm really glad it's there um, because they this is this is their bread and butter. This kind of thing. Yep. Tim Sanford knows how to do this kind of thing. Indeed. Well, so I'm gonna go with. This by Adrian Truscott, which by the time this come this episode comes out, will be buttoned right up on it. It's only April fifth through the eighth at Live Arts, and you may remember a while ago we talked about asking for it, which is Adrian Truscott's rape play, one woman, one woman rape show. I think is what she calls it, which was very aggressive and shocking and necessary and fun, honestly. Uh, so this is her new piece that she has written for Live Arts. Uh, she's calling it an act of artistic survivalism, which I like that phrase. I don't know what that means, but I think that's that feeling is sort of permeating all of the arts right now. And she's so unapologetic and hilarious that I want to see her take on everything that's been going on and it just says this is a gift this is a piece of cake this is a run-on sentence I, I don't know I don't know but I was so pleasantly surprised by her last show that I'm excited to see what she's got I was gonna say up her sleeve but then I remembered that she was naked in that last show and then it's gonna make an inappropriate joke, and I'm just gonna let the whole thing go. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it fly. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about Casablanca Box, which is a show at Here Art Center by Sarah Farrington and Reed Farrington. The Farringtons. Who we have talked about on this show before in a couple of contexts. First was Tyson VLE, which we saw at Coil. Then. I could have sworn I actually talked about Casablanca Box when I saw it at Culture Mart last year, but I went back and checked to see if I could find that episode, and it does not exist. So it either was like in my own head or somewhere else, but I it was mentioned. mentioned I, re like, I remember you mentioning it. Well, it was mentioned on a preview episode that you were on, Jack, that I was not on. This is during my like absence oh, time. Right. But I could have sworn I talked about this on the podcast, but I just like could not find any reference to it. So anyway, it is about the movie Casablanca. And oh, just to refresh in case everybody hasn't listened to all those past episodes. <laughs> um, Reed is an expert at multimedia live performance. He does these projections of uh, film that then live actors intersect with. And the way we described it in Tyson VLE, it was like you had a physical actor boxing a projection of an actor. And it's a little different in Casablanca Box, if I remember it, because it's been well over a year, but it's sort of like the scenes 
are being projected and then you see kind of the before and the after behind the scenes of the making of Casablanca. Right. So, but it's very similar in the sense that there's not like a single screen on which the film is projected and instead there are objects where the, the scenes are projected and then there are actors engaging in um, the scenes as well. So I saw the workshop essentially of this at Culture Mart. I thought right. it was super fascinating and now it's back for the full performance, 90 minutes at Culture Mart, April 5th through the 29th, and I am super looking forward to it. Yeah, they're, they're, um, they're a really amazing duo, um, Sarah and Reed. What is their connection? I believe they're married. Okay, I wasn't sure if they were siblings or married I'm or I'm pretty what. sure they're married, yeah. I mean, I've seen, because I know Sarah Farrington actually is a playwright as well, and she's inc- incredibly talented. And also, she's really... Yeah, ca- she wrote this. Yeah. yeah. And she's really fascinated with history. I've, everything I've ever seen of hers has been really steeped in, in history. I saw a play that took place during the Civil War that she wrote that took place in, like, the caves um, in the South, like, right at the end, when the, it was clear the Union was going to win. It took place in these caves as, like, the Union was ransacking oh, the South. Wow. And it was re- it's a re- it was a really beautiful. I saw that. I think that was in their apartment. They staged it. It was just, like, it was <laughs> oh, really, wow. really interesting. That's so cool. I'm, I'm fa- I've also been, I've been hearing about this and talking, referencing this show, Casablanca Box, for years, and I've never seen it. So I got to go fucking see it. That boxing show blew my mind. So if this is anything like that. Yeah, that was a really interesting... Yeah, that I, I really still love that piece, Tyson Violi. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next up, Jack. Okay, so as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um, the, yeah, it, it, it's Broadway season, but it's also like reading series and workshop and works in development season. Um, I'm saying this while, like, as I'm recording, I'm like steeped in our own workshop program right now at the public called Public Studio, which just closed one show and is about to start performances of another show. Um, so please come to that. Um, but all over town, they're doing stuff like this. So the couple that I'm going to be spending most of my time at over the next few weeks are Playwrights Realm, uh, who we know and love for plays like The Wolves, which has been very, very successful for them um, in all of its engagements, all of its return engagements, um, is doing their annual Inked Festival, um, in which playwrights that have been residents with them have readings of splashy new plays. And this is common. A lot of theaters um, have things like this, including the public. But there's something about Playwrights Realm. They're, they're Playwrights and their plays that they do in this series have a track record of getting produced, which is not always normal. So um, this is actually a really good chance if you're someone who likes to see sort of a, a show that is definitely or almost definitely going to have a future life in its nascent stages. This is a really good opportunity. Um, so a couple of the playwrights that I want to highlight that are um, having readings in this Inked Festival are Liza Birkenmeyer, who uh, was a finalist for the Relentless Award last year with a play called uh, Radio Island. And full disclosure, Liza's also in the Emerging Writers Group at The Public, which I run. An alum of the Emerging Writers Group who's now in the Playwrights Realm, uh, in residence of the Playwrights Realm, is Patricia Ion Lloyd. She also has a reading of a new play called Eve Song, which is uh, a family drama, but that also contains some fantastical elements that reference uh, black women who have been killed by by the police and otherwise over the last mm. few years, sort of highlighting, you know, we hear, I think, the most about young black men who are killed, but Ion really wants to focus on women, you know, starting with Sandra Bland and then unfortunately going much, much deeper down a very long list. And then a new play by Clarence Koo, who just won the Whiting Award for Drama, which is really amazing, and Danya Love has a, has a play as well. In addition to that, our 
Friends, uh, the new Blackfest, headed by uh, the uh, that crown prince of great theater, Keith Joseph Atkins. Um, they have a reading series uh, at the Lark that's going on over the next several weeks um, that you should just uh, go to all the plays because the playwrights that are in that um, Sanguji Kam has an amazing sort of a post-apocalyptic sort of along racial lines play called When We Left. I think Ngozi Anyamu has a new play in there. Um, and then the only other uh, uh, festival that's coming to mind or sort of development apparatus that's coming to mind that's just sort of closing out their season is the Cherry Lane Mentor Project, which is always a wonderful way to see. These are actually like fully staged workshops. They actually look like little mini productions. And they've t- had two really great um shows already. By the time you hear this, I think Isai's Table will have closed. But coming up next is Jocelyn Bio's Nollywood Dreams. Um, for those of you who saw Everybody by Brandon Jacobs Jenkins, Jocelyn Bio is an amazing actor who played God in that play and was also in Men on Boats. She's also a writer, and Sahim Ali is directing her sort of romantic comedy set in uh, the Nigerian film world um, to close out Cherry Lane Mentor Project season. And Jocelyn's great. Sahim Ali is an amazing director. So yeah, I, I go to all the websites of all of these places that I've mentioned, I'm sure we'll have some sort of linkage. Yeah, we'll link to all of them in yeah. the show. Page. But there's just there's so much opportunity to see new work right now in the month of April. So please just go see a bunch of stuff, and most of them are free. I should say, Cherry Lane. I know, I think you got to pay like ten or fifteen bucks, but um, stuff all stuff at the Lark is free, and Playwrights Realm stuff is free too. I think. Yes, but you should make a reservation for the oh, Lark for because sure. yes. those readings sell out. I went to one or two last year, and they were fantastic. I yeah. love the Lark. So I literally just named like 15 plays, basically, <laughs> that you should go see um, if you don't, especially if you don't have the money to go see all the new shit opening on Broadway. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Liz. This is kind of a cheat because it actually just started over at the Pearl Vanity Fair, Kate Hamill. And I think, I think it was our end of the year episode where I talked about that I liked that the Pearl was kind of branching out and doing these interpretations or reinterpretations of classics instead of just straight up classic plays. And Kate Hamill's done Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, and now she's doing Vanity Fair. So female-driven costume dramas are her thing. And Vanity Fair is about two girls who go to the same sort of elite women's uh, boarding school and graduate. And the two of them are from very different backgrounds. And it becomes sort of a play on ambition and society and keeping up appearances and staying in the middle lane and and the way their fortunes change, the way these classic novels do, on a dime constantly uh, by lots of mysteriously dead relatives or inheritances or secret marriage plots, uh, as they do. And... It was a lot of fun. The beginning was just hilarious and funny and sweet and feels very light. And then in the second act, it almost felt like the show opened up in a way to punch me in a way that I wasn't expecting, I Mm. guess. Yeah. Because, I mean, I love a, I love a costume drama. I love a comedy of manners. Um, But then to really go for the heart of like two women trying two very different tactics to come up in the world and the way it really doesn't work for either of them, like how to how to play the game and everyone's trying something different and it doesn't 
it's not a happy ending, but right. it happens. Um, I think if you like other Bedlam shows, you'll enjoy this. It's very much in the same vein. It's kind of goofy and thrown together, and there's some pop music, and they, someone dances to Thriller at some point. Um, yeah, it sounds like them. Yeah. So Is it a Bedlam production at the Pearl? I don't know if they've specifically called it a Bedlam production, but it's a lot of the same People, folks. Yeah. I see. Yeah. I mean, after they did that Midsummer Night's Dream at the Pearl a couple years ago, which was awesome, mm-hmm. I feel like they've sort of melded a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, I mean, they kind of arrived at the same thing. The Pearl is that wonderful off-Broadway theater that does um, interpretations of, but also just sort of straight runs of classics. Right. Usually Shakespeare and Chekhov, that kind of thing. But, but if this is the direction they're going, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really enjoy Bedlam. I think Kate Hamill is just a very smart writer who's sort of been flying on my radar low key for a while now and but I've consistently liked everything of hers that I've seen so yeah yeah and Vanity Fair I'm just, I'm just I always remember that remember that Reese Witherspoon movie that oh, came out yeah. like 10 years oh, ago oh I saw that movie yeah I actually liked I mean Vanity Fair is one of those like it's it is the book, the film, and I'm sure this worked too. It's like it's it's a costume drama for people who don't think they like costume dramas. Yeah, it's 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 so good and really interesting and complex. Um, yeah, I think it was a it's an interesting choice for right now, but I think it was a a smart choice. Yeah. Cool. All right, so I have something that's a little different as my last. April Curiosity. <laughs> it is a hybrid of performance, party, workout. <laughs> Another food, immersive workout show. Oh my God. Food <laughs> and fundraiser. So it's called Garhana or Garjana or Garjanya. I don't know. It's G A R J A N A. Okay. And it's a fundraiser for this organization called food tank which is a not-for-profit working to build a more sustainable food system so all good so far and the tickets are 40 dollars. it's on april 26th at highline ballroom and it is dancers including people who have been on broadway lead participants in an easy to uh, quote unquote easy to pick up and fresh looking synchronized dance moves all set to original music and fully immersed in visuals specially created for the event plus there's a whole bunch of snacks by (laughs) (laughs) sustainable sustainable awesome snacks yeah I mean, I am curious about this event. I love original fundraising ideas, and I like things that incorporate theater with participation with snacks, quite frankly. So um, I don't know. This might be more party than performance. I don't know because I haven't been to it, but I do Have plan they done this before? To go to it. I don't think so. I think this is their first. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like I would have heard of this. I'm also all about, you know, being in shape and working out a lot these days. So might as well combine your interests. A lot of interests. And then there's the snacks. Yeah. 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 So I just wanted to let folks know about it. I think it sounds like worth checking out at least one time. It does say dress to sweat. So I do believe it is actually a genuine workout. Um, Or dress like the characters in sweat by Lynn Nottage on Broadway. Mm, insider. Mm. <laughs> also yeah. an option. 
That's okay. what I'm doing. I think that's, that's it. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. The only thing I actually just wanted to say, even though it's like we're, we're beyond Broadway, but I like when sort of someone from our normal purview kind of breaks through and gets on Broadway. Right now, uh, Lucas Nath's Doll's House Part 2, directed by Sam Gold, is... Um, Either it's it's in previews or it's in rehearsals yeah, now on Broadway. I believe it started previews. And I just like you know like Will you know how to play out there on Broadway a couple years back. I just like when downtown people like get to go hang out with the glamorous folks in Midtown. Like just it's just love. I I, I hope I wish it nothing but the best. I can't wait to see it. I'm just very happy when folks like Lynn Nottage and Lucas Nathan will you know like get to play on Broadway. And look at Paula Vogel. And, oh, yeah, and Paula Jesus. Vogel. Jesus. Like, Lynn and Paula were overdue. Yeah, that emerging oh playwright. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. That early career. Have you guys read the American Theater article that is an interview with the five playwrights who are making their Broadway debuts this year? I keep seeing it. I haven't read it yet. It is must-read. Oh, man, that's, that's fantastic. Alrighty. Because what you have is two very distinguished, older, highly awarded female playwrights yep. and three very young white men all making their Broadway <laughs> debuts. Because that would be what? Josh Harmon and Lucas and... Who am I leaving There's out? one more. Uh, Rogers. JT Rogers. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. For Oslo, right? <laughs> the distinction in their perspectives is startling and just... It's so interesting. I, I can't can recommend that article Man, enough. To check that out. Like... Paula Vogel and Lynn Nottage, like, they have no fucks to give. Nope. And yeah. they speak honestly yeah. and forthrightly, and it is such a breath of fresh air. Yeah. I always remember that interview, that uh, article that Lynn wrote about the Tony Awards that was in the New York Times a few years ago. Do y'all remember that? No. Mm-hmm. It was the whole thing about like the fact that she was she is a Tony voter and yet has never had anything <laughs> on Broadway. And it was she said it was like um like being asked to to work on a party that all your friends are attending that you're not allowed to go to. Right, yeah. Oh my God, it was so good. Yeah, so this, this great party's happening. Can you bartend? Like that's yeah, exactly. Lynn Nottage, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I, I, it, there's a lot to say about that. I mean, it's just, but there is something about like the fact that this kind of coincides. It's wonderful they're having their Broadway debuts. I mean, it's complicated that they're having their Broadway debuts at this point in their careers. But I also feel like there's the silver lining of it is that it's a really public way to celebrate everything that both of those playwrights have given to the industry. Because in addition to that, they're both two of the most respected theatrical educators. Mm -hmm. And that is raised in the article. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, I mean... The, the the number of people that have taken classes, you know, with that that we mention all the time on this podcast, that have learned how to write plays from Paul and Lynn is like, it's nice to sort of like including yeah. the other young men including, who are making yeah. their debuts, <laughs> including, yeah. But you know, if it, if it gets us more regional productions of Paul Vogel and Lynn Nodd, because that's really what happens. You get yeah. it on Broadway, it does this, it does its thing, and then it filters out into regional theaters. And if we start seeing more of them. Yeah. out beyond New York I think is uh, is great that's what we and need with, yeah. with all these interviews it's also just really nice to know that Paul and Lynn aren't going anywhere it's not like you know what I mean like they're nowhere near retiring so it's yeah. like I'm just I'm the more you know Indecent and Sweater both gorgeous plays and this is not the last we're going to hear from them in, artistically and I'm that, that's, what I, that's what I'm choosing to focus on right yeah. now because everything else just depresses the fuck out of me yeah. yes yes well on that note thanks everyone for joining <laughs> us thanks bye 
Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that differ from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite Maximu-isms on them. You can get to the store via Maximu.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. We'll be back next week. See you then. Theatrical Media.